0: Right now, and this is a joy, Kathy Jones joins us, Chief Fixed Income Strategist at Charles Schwab. John and Lisa got some 60,000-foot questions. Kathy, I want to go to the Schwab Retail Investor. I have a vanilla total fund. It's got sovereign credit in it. It's a blended portfolio. Forget about the yield. On a price basis, it's down 5%. Annualized, it's down 12%. For for retail, that feels like a bond bear market to me. Are we on the cusp of a bond bear market?
1: Well, I'd say we're in sort of a mini bond bear market already, um, because as you say, it's very unusual to get drawdowns in, a, in excess of 2 or 3% in the bond market, a kind of writ large. So when you're down 5%, it's certainly... Uh, probably qualifies as a bond bear market. Now, we're not in the camp that says this is kind of regime change and we're going into a 10-year bond bear market, or even perhaps a one-year bond bear market. But we've certainly seen a significant decline now, as you would expect when you start to see rates move the way they have. Lisa, under
0: CFA level two, a bond bear market is defined by when you open your monthly statement three months in a row in itself, that's a bond bear market.
2: Right, and the question is whether that's a self-fulfilling prophecy, whether people see the red and they withdraw more cash, or whether some people say, you know what, we want to hide out in some of these securities, especially if we are concerned about the consequence of rate hikes. And Kathy, that has been part of your thesis. How much are you continuing to double down on that duration call?
1: Yeah, we've had a short duration call for you know really a long time, probably a couple of years now. Uh, we're actually starting to um, advocate taking on a bit more duration as yields move up. So one of the things we see is, as you get into a rate hike cycle, the yield curve flattens, You get 2s, 10s below about 50 basis points, and you're probably pretty near the peak in 10 years. So as we get into the rate hike cycle and we see that yield curve flattening, we're actually advocating starting to take on a little bit more duration. Not not jump into 30 year bonds here, but to start to add to that duration because there's nearly, um, the market's gone a long way already to build in this rate hiking cycle. Um, We're already seeing financial conditions start to tighten a little bit. So we're on the verge of probably hitting at least least an interim peak.
2: All right. In an interim peak. But can you sit on that for just a minute? We have that 10-year yield now at the highest levels going back to late 2019, 1.94%. This is a near-term peak, an interim peak. But do you think that this is the peak of the cycle?
1: Um, Probably for this cycle, if the Fed and the other central banks follow through on what they're saying they're going to do. So we think this this cycle is pretty powerful because it's globally synchronized. The Fed is using both quantitative tightening and rate hikes uh, to bring down inflation and to slow the economy. Fiscal stimulus is already a thing of the past and will fade. So as we look out over the next year or so, which is probably defined as the cycle here, Uh, we think that we're probably fairly close to the peak in longer term yields.
2: Kathy, you point to some data, economic data, showing that actually you are starting to see a slowdown in the pace of the economy. Can you give us a sense of the slowdown in the economy versus the slowdown in inflation and whether it makes a difference uh, for the two?
1: Sure. Um, So typically some of the signals that we watch are like the global PMIs. They're starting to roll over. We're seeing personal consumption expenditures start to ease up, which isn't too surprising because the the fiscal policy boost we got is waning. And those are indicators that usually precede the peak in inflation. So we all know inflation is a lagging indicator. And so um, there's also the, the problem that as oil prices move up and gasoline prices move up, it erodes consumer spending power. So our, our thesis is that we're getting into a slowing economy as the year plays out. And as a lagging indicator, inflation will come down as a result. It's nonlinear.
0: When we come from 7%, Kathy Jones, down on inflation as is as widely presumed What's a single-point trip point for psychology? Under 4%?
1: You know I would think so, although I will point out that certainly the market-based expectations for inflation haven't really moved up that much. Um, on the retail side or when we look at, say the University of Michigan consumer sentiment survey, um, those have those have become more elevated, although really the long-term outlook isn't for much more than three percent. But I'd say the trip point in terms of psychology in the market, if I had to name it, would be gasoline prices. You now people are very sensitive mm-hmm. to, what it costs to fill up the tank every every week or whenever I don't know I don't drive so um, it's not an issue for me but you know people are very sensitive to gasoline prices and of course food prices so if we start to see those gasoline prices come down uh, later in the year I think that that will
2: change some of the inflation fears.
3: At least it's the only one that drives around here, Kathy.
2: Which and the irony
1: is the only
3: one.
2: I grew up in New York City so I relate to that statement and yet I. I did get my driver's license. I know,
3: license but you're so rich now you drive out to go skiing on the weekend, and Tom and I, Tom and I don't get to do that. <laughs> no. So at least skiing how every weekend. I learned to drive.
2: Now. Hold Tom. on a second. I learned how to drive, just to be very clear, because I went to Fargo, North Dakota, and I got my license after begging the person on the fifth time.
3: You begged the person for your license. Let's not get into Do you want to disclose no, that? No, I
2: don't, I don't Tom, want do, to, but I do. I do no, let not. Thank and you.
3: quickly move on. No. <laughs> Kathy Jones of Charles Schwab. Kathy, thank you very much. Jim Caron joins us now, fixed income portfolio manager (laughs) Morgan Stanley Investment Manager. That was a trick question, Tom. Jim, 50 basis point rate
4: hike in March. You actually think we should take this seriously. Why? Well, you know, I I think. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on your show. Yes, I do think that we should take it seriously because what we're starting to see is that inflation pressures are starting to rise more precipitously. We have another inflation number coming out on Thursday. We've recently had, I know, for some technical, quirky reasons, a stronger payroll report. Right now, what central banks are worried about, and this is the one job central banks all around the world all have in common, which is fighting inflation, is that you're starting to get a steeper Phillips curve, and you're getting wages starting to move higher. That's allowing companies to pass through higher prices. What that does, and this is the important point, is that it unanchors inflation expectations, which means that corporations are therefore more likely to more freely raise prices in the future. Consumers are willing to pay those prices, and that's a spiral inflation that we're talking about. So if if we start to move into a situation where the Fed starts to really take this very, very seriously and they're concerned, I can't rule out a 50 basis point rate hike. It's not the base case, but I think we should take it very seriously.
0: Jim, what's your dynamic on what foreigners will do given higher yields across all of the Morgan Stanley yield space? Do foreigners go into a voracious
4: frenzy when they
0: see higher yields? Do they get afraid and wait? Well, how do they respond?
4: I, I think it's the latter. I think when yields are rising, they get afraid and wait. Once yields settle down into a range and people are comfortable with that, that's when you start to see the buying. So when, when we see these yield rises, we do think that there are some limitations as to how high these yields can go as it feeds back into financial conditions, as mm-hmm. it feeds back into growth, and it impacts other asset prices like equities and things like that and credit. However, when you start to see these types of moves, they be- become somewhat unbounded. So if we're looking at the 10-year treasury at 1.93%, well, what's to stop it from going to 2% or to, or to 2.05? I think people would be more comfortable with it above 2% to say, well, maybe now's the time to start to buy. But when we're making that journey up towards 2%, uh, people tend to get very, very nervous and want to you know, seek out right. short protection.
0: Let me translate that, folks, to a question for the great Jim Caron. Is our journey that we're heading for a bond bear market?
4: Well, you know, I I think that we're I think that we're in it right now. Um, I think that we are making an adjustment higher in yields, but I do think that it probably stops somewhere above two percent, like around 2.25 percent, you know, for for this year. And the reason I say that is that right now what we're seeing is that these rises in yields are now starting to have a negative feedback impact on credit spreads. Credit spreads are starting to widen right now. That's going to create more anxiety in the bond markets. That can also lead to lower equity prices, and effectively what I'm really saying is that we start to get a tightening of financial conditions that has a negative feedback loop into economic activity, and and we're already seeing global PMIs starting to roll over and some signs of some slowing, so all of this does have a stopping point, but it may not be right here. It may be a little higher in yield, a little above 2% before we get there in the 10-year.
2: Jim, the argument from a lot of credit investors is that spreads haven't widened so much to where they are compared to where they were pre-pandemic. And frankly, a lot of companies have immunized their balance sheets. They've borrowed for such a long time that they don't need to borrow anytime soon. Is the signal from credit really all that concerning, given the fact that you have highly capitalized companies?
4: Yeah, well, look, I, I think that's a great point. I, I don't think that there's a credit uh, default risk that's going to run through the markets. You know, I think that uh, corporate, you know, GDP is still supposed to be pretty good this year. Earnings are, you know, are decent as a result of that. So therefore, I don't think default risk is very, very high. However, there is an all-in yield component to credit. These are still bonds after all. So when yields start to rise, we're already seeing the year-to-date returns in many of these indices. They're, you know, they're down. Um, as they can, as these yields continue to rise, you start not to see the inflows that you saw in the past. You start to see people pulling away from the asset class, and that's why I see this as a natural adjustment. Higher in yield, it's not a, a default risk issue at the moment. So, to your point, Lisa, you know, yes, you know, interest coverage costs are low. Corporations have better balance sheets. They have more cash. They've termed out their debt. All of these things are good. I think corporate America can handle higher yields. I don't think this is a default risk issue, but I do think it's an all-in total return issue when it comes to an adjustment higher in yields, and this can drive people away from the asset class for the time being.
2: Given the fact that you think that there's more to come, are you hiding out in a lot of cash right now?
4: So so we do have higher levels of cash, and and there are also other places that we can look at, right? So areas, for example, like bank loans. I know most things are fully valued these days, but here's an index that's trading still below par at 99. You get good yield per unit of duration. Um, You know, this is a sector that is a good place to hang out at this current point in the cycle as yields are rising. The other is that we start to look for deeper value. Where do we have higher real yields? Where are we in places where we're being compensated to take the risk? And in some of these places, it's, short-end, front-dated, uh, you know, short-end short emerging markets where many of these central banks are way ahead late in the cycle of hiking interest rates. They have the highest real yields around the world, the highest yield per unit of credit rating. These are areas that we also think are opportunities. So I'm not just saying it's about defense. We can play a little bit of offense here, too, if we watch the valuations. And that's what I recommend. And that's what we're doing in our portfolios. Hey, Jim,
3: awesome. As always, great to catch no, you up. You. Jim Caron and Morgan, Stanley Investment Management
0: I think everybody knows I'm a huge, huge fan of one Robert Dahl. He's chief investment officer at Crossmark Global Investments. But over the many, many decades, he's been a resilient bull. And then December happened. And Bob Dahl in December said, wait a minute, this is a moment where the usual Bob Dahl changes. The December Dahl call was absolutely stunning. Bob Dahl, are you back in the market after a 10% SPX correction?
5: Yeah, our, our target 4,500, Tom, and as we said a few minutes ago, who would have thunk we would have gotten it so fast? So I'm pretty neutral now. I think we're going to have a very um, volatile but trendless market. Earnings tailwinds, valuation right. headwinds. That's the big change. You guys have been talking about it. The Fed has made a hawkish pivot, and the market is slowly waking up to that especially bonds.
0: Let's go CFA factor analysis right now, Bob Dahl. What matters? Individual stock selection, sector selection? Is it about international sales? What matters in stock selection?
5: Yes, all of the above. Look, I think you have to be positioned for companies that can produce the earnings and the cash flow and not expect valuation improvement. In fact, I think the opposite. That takes me more to value direction. I want to own financials in a rising rate environment, uh, energy on a pullback. I want to own that too, because uh, the world's uh, demand for oil is moving up and supply is uh, somewhat curtailed.
2: So you're pretty much bearish in everything. I mean, yes, you've got pockets that you see value. But you pointed out that equities, even though they're outperforming bonds, should basically struggle to eke out a positive return for the year. What does that mean in terms of your advice to some of your clients? How do you arrange and deal with the fact that you might expect no returns at best this year?
5: So for sure, uh, rebalance. If you've not rebalanced, your equity weighting because of the gains in the last few years is higher than your target. Bring it back to target at a minimum. That's the first thing to do. The second is to make sure your portfolio is not overly uh, populated with these growth stocks that have done so well over the last few years until the last few months. You need to cut them back something. You have to sell out of them. And for goodness sakes, if you've been totally in the US, stand up, take a bow, and do a little dollar cost averaging outside the US where economies are picking up.
2: All right, where in particular, Bob?
5: I think that uh, Europe is probably not a bad place to be. I think the emerging markets still have a challenge with China's uh, credit problems. Uh, So I
3: I would stay with developed markets. Does that breakout in peripheral yields worry you at all, Barbie in Italy, in Greece and elsewhere? I think it's a signal of uh, exactly
5: the theme, valuation headwinds. When the supply or the the amount of bonds selling at negative interest rates drops 70%, In six weeks, that tells you there's a change afoot we need to
3: pay attention. Bob, you've been around the block a few times. I just wondered, do you think these central banks can pull off what they're discussing all at the same time Ah, together?
5: Now you're on to it. That's a very good question. I mean, you're starting to hear at the periphery people talking about as they move interest rates up, as companies struggle with supply shortages, labor shortages, some cost pressures. Could we have a significant economic slowdown? I sure hope not. I don't think so. But we're going to debate that.
0: Bob Dole, I want to go to your Lehigh University. Every institution right now is having huge trouble trying to figure out asset allocation. Do you look at the whole march here away from basic common stock ownership? Is constructive as a diversifier or should people get back on board
5: the good old all-American stock market? Look, I think stocks still have a long-term place in portfolios as the central piece of what you're doing. I think bonds are going to be challenged for some times as interest rates normalize. So if you can find alternatives that have uh, bond-like returns, bond-like volatility, but absent the interest rate sensitivity, they're the kind of places you want to be. Let me go all
0: Jay Pulaski on you. John talks to Mr. Pulaski a lot. He's huge on Pacific Rim. Can
5: you be large on Pacific Rim? Uh, yes, I think the Pacific Rim that serves, still fast-growing, albeit slowing, China and India, they're still
3: good places to be. Jay needs the world to open up for that to work, Tom. What we're seeing in Hong Kong and China right now. Not,
0: you're absolutely that, that's, right, John. That's
3: going to be a problem, Bob, and yep. I just wonder what your views <clears> are on that. We just caught up with Dr. Amish Adagia from Johns Hopkins, who was discussing the difficulty that China would have opening up. Need to see something happen with supply chains, don't we? No
5: question about it, and uh, I heard that interview, and, and you're right, it's a, it's a legitimate to be concerned. Those supply chains ha- have to open up. I think a year from now we will solve a noticeable piece, but not of all, all of our supply chain problems, and that's part of the inflation problem. It's part of companies not being able to satisfy consumer demand. So we can solve a few of those, that's good news.
3: Bob, final question, what would make you bullish?
5: Uh, if you tell if you told me that uh, interest rates don't have to go up, but I, I can't see how you can get there. We have valuation headwinds. When interest rates go up, PEs come down. A 22-23 PE where we were just uh, two months ago, not appropriate for an environment where the Fed's taking the punch bowl away.
3: Bob, it's fantastic to see you, sir, on a regular basis. I'm enjoying this. Bob Dole of Crossmark. Thank you, sir. Thank you, buddy.
0: Now on the GOP and really the state of Arkansas politics, away from all that's going on in Washington, we need to note that he's the most popular congressman in America, Valentine's Day, because he is the congressman of Romance, Arkansas. You come out of Little Rock and go up Route 5 to Romance, Arkansas. Have you ever delivered an envelope to Romance, Arkansas, French Hill with Valentine's greetings?
6: Well, you will want to know, Tom Keene, that all of my wedding invitations were mailed in Romance, Arkansas. So I'm a big believer in the post office at Romance, and it's uh It's an economic magnet for lovers all over the nation.
0: Jonathan Martin in The New York Times six, eight months ago had an absolutely wonderful piece on the cauldron of GOP politics in Arkansas. It is arguably the litmus test of the future of the Republican Party. What has changed in the GOP debate in your district, in your state, in the last six weeks?
6: In the last six weeks, we're talking about redistricting. In my district, uh, I lose part of Pulaski County, Tom, which is uh, Metro Little Rock, and I pick up an additional rural county, Cleburne County, which is next to two big counties that I already have in that region. And I'd say the party has become uh, definitely more conservative as we see Democratic quorum courts out in those rural counties, having county judges run either as independents or switching to the Republican Party. That's a major trend.
2: All right. As we help Tom Keene curry favor with his domestic situation, I'm wondering for (laughs) Valentine's (laughs) Day, given the fact that prices are going up, I mean, aside from that particular uh, holiday, how do you expect to address the fact that it seems persistent? How do you expect to address the fact that, yes, uh, the president is leaning on the Federal Reserve, but there is a legislative aspect to this?
6: Lisa, as I've I've said for many, many appearances on this program and other programs, we need to not be spending so much uh, borrowed money in such a a continued pandemic manic manner. We need to go back to pre-pandemic spending priorities on the fiscal side while the Treasury withdraws its accommodation on uh, its balance sheet in terms of the amount of Treasury securities that it's buying and then slowly lifts interest rates. Well, Those are but, two key points, I think, to, to lowering inflationary expectations.
2: Congressman, in fairness, we are cutting spending that actually you're seeing this fiscal drag that everyone's talking about and it is going down. And there is a feeling that if the government does invest in things like renewable energy and uh, certain programs, we could avoid some of the shocks that we're seeing currently with oil. What's your view on that?
6: Well, look, you look at uh, the Energy Information Agency's predictions for needed fossil fuel production, electricity increases between now and 2050. You're not going to produce that through renewables alone. It's not physically possible to do that. We need to continue to replace our reserves and increase our supply in fossil fuels. And I believe sincerely that we should continue to invest in cheaper, more efficient, more effective nuclear power in this country and around the world in order to fuel the energy demands that both industrial and consumer needs are projected to need over the next 25 to 30 years.
0: Franco the linkage here on a constructive jobs report Friday with a lot of amendments, we get as wages up and we've got the inflation report coming out on Thursday. Tell me about near fully employed, Arkansas, and this is your wheelhouse as a former, you know, local banker. What is the wage story you're hearing from business in Arkansas right now?
6: Well, first, we're about 9,000 jobs below February uh, 2020 before the pandemic. Uh, Tom, in terms of employed Arkansans, uh, so that's a key point. And I'm seeing wage pressure increase both at the low end and the high end, uh, particularly in healthcare, for example, in your previous discussions this morning, you talked a lot about low end working salaries going up and being on pressure to go up. But we're seeing that in the professional ranks, particularly in healthcare, where these wage increases that we saw in the pandemic, just to get people to stay on the job, uh, they're being embedded into the system. So we're seeing wage increases in the four and 5% range and higher. And I think that's reflected in the 9% producer price index uh, that we saw at the end of the year.
3: Congressman, I understand there's a massive game this evening. Should I be watching this one? You should
6: watch Auburn-Arkansas, Jonathan. Come on, get with the program, what, move off t- what game is soccer, this? What and game move is into this American now? basketball.
3: This is basketball This is,
6: al- this is Auburn. Yep. It's a team in the South playing Arkansas. Another team in the, the South are playing basketball. And we're almost that's, to the, that's the one time with time hands. for the Sweet
3: 16. Oh, that's the one with guys. your this hands, This is what right? you need to watch. Congressman, I'll try it out. French Shelf. John, Thank you, you have sir. no idea As the morass of, of Southern <laughs> basketball you just the stumbled into. Europeans are very into. good at basketball now, too, Tom.
0: This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. for insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. And subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg.